The reading is from Romans 16, verses 1 to 27. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sancriae. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my relatives who have been in prison with me. They are outstanding among the apostles, and they were in Christ before I was. Greet Ampliatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apales, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Stobulus. Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus, who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ send greetings. I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I am full of joy over you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my relatives. I, Tisius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Quartus send you their greetings. Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey him. To the only wise God be glory forever, through Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Before we carry on, shall we pray? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would help us to listen carefully to your word and to learn from it, and we pray that you'd speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if uh, you're a visitor here today, um, or if you're joining us online for the first time, then 
um, then you may not know that we're soon to have a new rector. Um, and in preparation for um, his arrival, we, um, we had suggested that church members read this little book, this little book, um, the book that your pastor wishes you would read but is too embarrassed to ask. And although now we know that Rob is going to be our, our next rector, it's still no less um, useful that we do read this little book. You maybe. A lot of us have already read it, and if you have read it, you may remember that um, it lists seven virtues of church members that impact pastors. And the second of those virtues, uh, the second of that list, is committed belonging. So there's a whole chapter on what it means to be, have committed belonging. Well, as we come today um, to the end of our series, uh, looking, uh, as Matt said, looking at the letter of Romans and we come to this final chapter, we're going to see some good examples of committed belonging, what, what committed belonging looks like. Um, I wonder how you think about church. I mean, is, is coming to church, is it a bit like going to the cinema, if you can remember what, you know, what that was like, um, or going to a concert or a gig or, to, or perhaps to a sports event, you know, all those sort of things we love doing. I, I certainly have missed being able to go to um, live athletics events this past year. And, you know, whatever, whatever the sort of things we liked doing, we liked going to, we liked going to those things because of what we get out of them. You know, we're consumers of film or consumers of music or consumers of sport. And so it's helpful to think, is that what going to church is like as well. Are we consumers of church? Well, as we saw um, last week, Paul wrote this, um, this letter to the Christian community in Rome, uh, and he had plans to go and visit them and then to carry on on his journey uh, to Spain. That was his plan. But you may remember from, a couple of, from last week or a couple of weeks ago that he's going to Jerusalem. He plans to go to Jerusalem, first of all, to take... Um, money that he's collected that, that various of the churches in the eastern Mediterranean had contributed to the needy people back in Jerusalem. He was going to go back and take uh, that money back there, first of all. And, and before he goes back on this journey, for some reason, he's sort of waiting. He's got a couple of months hanging around before he can go back to Jerusalem. And he's there in Greece, in Corinth, um, Acts 20 tells us that. And it's while he's there that he's writing this letter to the Romans, of course, sending a letter wasn't a, a simple matter in those days. You know, there's no internet, of course. But, of course, there wasn't even a postal system. Um, there was an imperial, <clears throat> the imperial postal system, but ordinary citizens couldn't, couldn't use that. Um, so we read right there in, the, in verse 1 that um, this lady, Phoebe, she's the person. She's going to take this letter to Rome. We read that she's a member of the church in Sencrier, Sencrea is a port um, a few miles east of Corinth. Um, she's described as a servant of the church. Maybe she was some sort of deacon or deaconess in the church. Um, and Paul commends her. He commends her to the, to the church in Rome. He asks them to, to welcome her and to help her. And then having talked about her, he then adds this huge long list that he wants to send greetings to. So 
So thank you, Avril, for reading that list of all those names. It was not the easiest uh, reading to do. But all those names, there's this huge long list of names of people that he's sending greetings to. And you need to remember, we need to remember that he'd never actually been, as we know, been to Rome yet. So he hadn't visited them. But clearly there were people that he knew or that he knew of. Um, right back at the beginning of Romans, of, of his letter, it's obvious that he knew them. So a couple of verses, verse 8 of chapter 1 says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. He obviously heard about them, knew lots about them. God, whom I serve with my whole heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness. How constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times. So who's praying for them? So he knew them, knew about them. But what can we learn from this list of slightly strange names? Well, the first thing to see is that they were, well, is to think about gospel work. They were, Paul describes them as fellow workers. Many of them just have that description, fellow workers or people who have worked very hard for you or worked very hard for the Lord, in the Lord. Now, we might be tempted to think that, um, you know, maybe they were all full-time Christian missionaries or maybe they were all paid church staff, but that certainly isn't true, probably not for most of them. So take the first couple, for example, Priscilla and Aquila. Uh, They were people um, who got on with, you know, they were people who definitely got on with everyday uh, life in secular work. They had a, they had a tent-making business, and uh, they were in Rome originally, and they, um, and they seemed to have been very successful. But in AD, 50, in AD 49, the emperor Claudius, he uh, made, ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. You can read about that in Acts 18. And Priscilla and her husband Aquila, they went to Corinth, where they set up a new branch of the business. You know, they set up the tent-making business there. And in fact, Paul, when he went there, joined with them for a little while in that business. Um, And he certainly, that's where he got to know them. And then later, they traveled with him. We read in Acts that they traveled with them um, to Ephesus. So Corinth is in present-day, is in Greece, and Ephesus is in present-day Turkey. And there in Ephesus, they probably set up another branch of their tent-making business. But then in in, uh, AD 54, um, the Emperor Claudius died, and Emperor Nero, the new emperor, he allowed the Jews back um, into Rome, and Jews, so Jews returned, and including those Jews who'd become Christians, who were Christian believers, like Priscilla and her husband Aquila. So Paul commends them, even though they're obviously successful tent-making business people. He commends them as fellow workers, and he says that they even risked uh, their lives for him. He's very thankful for them, um, but, it, but he also says that it's not just he who's thankful for them. So are members of, of other churches. Probably he's particularly thinking about the church in Corinth and the church in Ephesus. So what are we going to uh, learn from the example of Priscilla and Aquila and all the others who are named in this long list. For some of them, we see that their service was really quite costly, so risking their lives, or some of them, Paul talks about being in prison, or he just talks about them working hard, very hard in the Lord. 
So what about us? If we're part of a church community, then we too, in some way, one way or another, should be involved in gospel work. We are, or we will be, fellow workers together, working together in the service and for the sake of the Lord Jesus. It's not right that we should be just passengers or just consumers. Of course, there are many, many different ways in um, in which we do that, in which we can be fellow gospel workers. So, for example, many in our church family are very committed to um, the work with children and youth, and we're very grateful for that, grateful for those amongst us who come, at least in normal times, perhaps not quite like that now, but still people are very committed in a different way now, but in normal time, coming week by week, on Sundays and on Fridays and for special events, really committed, working hard. It's hard work, but it's hard work that's done for the Lord. And of course, in the last year, we've been very grateful, haven't we, for all, all you guys back there and the others on the PA and the AV team doing, doing all that stuff that enables us to share together both here and, and at home. That's hard work. Other in our church family are involved in Christian ministry in Basingstoke beyond our immediate church family. And again, for many, that's hard work. And of course, there are the list could go on and on. There are so many ways in which we are and can be fellow workers together. For some, it may be a ministry of prayer, but that can be serious hard work too. So serving in whatever, we, in whatever way we do is a privilege, but it is also a mark of this committed belonging. But there's more than uh, just being fellow workers um, in these verses, because being involved in gospel work together encourages gospel fellowship. It's all about being family together. So have a look again, if you've, if you've got a Bible or if you've got, a, got the text in front of you, have a look again at Paul's greeting list, because it's a very diverse list, isn't it? There are lots of different people, but they're all there serving together. So Phoebe, going back to the start again, Phoebe, who's the letter carrier, the lady taking the letter to Rome, she probably was able to do that because she, was, she had business in Rome. She appears to be a wealthy person and a patron, um, giving support to many people, including Paul. Priscilla and Aquila, these, these couple with this tent-making business, they're able, they had a house that was big enough, they were able to host a church in their house. But the church in Rome also included slaves um, as well as wealthy people. Some of the names in this list are names that um, people who know about these things recognize as being names that are, um, that are associated with slaves. <clears throat> and then there are two different households mentioned, the household of Aristobulus and the household of Narcissus. And it's thought that these were households of important, important or aristocratic families. <clears throat> And then you may have noticed that Paul mentions many women. In fact, there are many women as well as men. In fact, there are nine women who are mentioned in this list. And some of them are particularly singled out for, or singled out for particular mention. Some of them, um, in, in our NIV translation, uh, some of the people are referred to as my relative, but that isn't that Paul's saying that they were his cousins or his uncles or whatever, you know, it's better understood as being his kinsmen, so his fellow Jews. But that just reminds us that 
There are Jews in this list, and there are Gentiles in this list. So the members in the church in Rome that Paul greets, they're very different from each other, but they're also united. Um, We've seen earlier in the letter that, particularly in the relationships between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile or or the non-Jewish Christians, they needed to work at it. They needed to work at remaining united. But here we get a little picture of their love and their care um, for each other, and above all, their unity in the Lord Jesus. Verse 13, Rufus, he's thought to be the brother of Alexander and the son of Simon of Cyrene. Simon of Cyrene. So you, remember, you may remember from Mark <clears throat> chapter 15, verse 21, that Simon was the man who was forced to carry Jesus' cross. Well, Rufus here is his son, and therefore his mother is Simon's wife. Um, and Paul describes her, Simon's wife, Simon of Cyrene's wife, as being like a mother to him. It's a picture of warm fellowship, <clears throat> a family of fellow workers serving the Lord together. And then they greet each other, you know, they greet each other warmly. And for them, the culturally appropriate way to do that was with a holy kiss. But the gospel fellowship goes wider, wider still than just their own community, because verse 16 tells us that it's not just about the local church family, but all the churches of Christ send greetings. So for us too, um, as we serve the Lord together, we can experience a bit of this belonging in the family. The wonderful thing is that uh, it's possible to know that to know this family unity, even though we may all be very different, with different backgrounds and life experiences. And it's also a challenge to us, isn't it, as well? Because despite this truth, despite this truth that um, we can be united across these different backgrounds, it is still so easy to stick to people who are just like us, just like me, and not to experience the taster um, of heaven when one day people from every tribe and language and people and nation will join together in worshipping the Lord. So it's good that we ask ourselves, how do we ensure um, that here at St. Mary's we can welcome everyone? And it's good, too, to remind ourselves that um, we share in gospel ministry with fellow believers in many different settings, both locally as well as nationally and internationally. So we thought a bit about gospel work, being fellow workers together, gospel fellowship, family together. But then when you come to verse 17, it's a little bit of a shock Verse 17 says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause division. So it comes a bit of a shock after the warm greetings of those first 16 verses. But these next verses, they tell us about gospel faithfulness. Because despite all that Paul has uh, just said, he still has to remind them to be watchful. He has to remind them to look out for those who will undermine the fellowship they need to remain faithful to the gospel. 
Now, we're not told what the issues were. Um, they were to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in their way, in your way. It would seem probably to be something different to the issues that we thought about back in chapters 14 and 15, you know, where Paul talked about disputable matters. Because over those issues of food and special days, people were to bear with each other. But not here. Verse 17 says, keep away from them. So it seems to be something more serious that he's talking about. And it's helpful for us to look at how um, Paul says that they should respond, because it's in the same way um, that we too can remain faithful. You know, it's in this way that we keep gospel faithfulness. John Stott summarized these, uh, three, uh, these verses, 17, 18, and 19, into, into three questions. And they're three questions that we should ask about any kind of Christian teaching and about those who, who bring it to us. So the questions are these. Does it agree with Scripture? Does it glorify the Lord Christ? And does it promote goodness? Because is it contrary to the teaching that you've learned? Paul says, you know, don't um, put there. He talks about people who, who put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching that you have learned. So, you know, is it, is something that we hear or something that we see contrary to the teaching that we've learned? God has spoken to us in his word, in the scripture, in scriptures in the Bible, and we're not, we're not free to change it. And it's interesting, too, to think that if, if mainstream Christians have understood the Bible in a certain way throughout the church's history, then we need to be very careful of changing that. And does it glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? Because right teaching, right behavior, brings glory to the Lord Jesus. We need to be aware of anything or any people who claim to be Christian but are not serving our Lord Christ. Instead, as Paul says, they serve their own appetites. If the teaching or the behavior of those bringing it is not pointing to our wonderful Lord Jesus, then we're to keep away from them. And it's easy, the third question, does it promote goodness? Because it's easy to be taken in, but the result of going the wrong way is wrong living. Following good teaching enables obedience. So again, verse 19 in our, uh, in our NIV translation says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what's evil. In J.B. Phillips's translation, he has this rather nice way. He says, I want, you to see, I want to see you experts in good and not even beginners in evil. I want to see you experts in good and not even beginners in evil. So it's worth remembering these three questions that we can just help us to keep gospel faithfulness. Does it agree with Scripture? Does it glorify the Lord Christ? Does it promote goodness? Let's hold on to that so that we uh, maintain gospel faithfulness. And then right at the end of this letter, there are some greetings from some people who are with Paul in Corinth. And then comes the final doxology, some words of praise to God. 
And there's a little summary of the letter, a synopsis. You know, Paul gives a, a tiny quick recap of the whole letter in just a couple of verses, just the headlines contained within this doxology. It's as we understand the gospel that we can come in real praise to God. So he reminds us the gospel is all about Jesus Christ. He says he was promised and written about in the Old Testament scriptures, but what was only partially seen has now been fully revealed in the coming of the Lord Jesus. And then wonderfully, both Jews and Greeks, not just one people group, but all nations are called to believe and obey God. So that, that's what Paul's been writing about. God's eternal plan has been to rescue humanity, to enable people to be rescued, to be put right. And he's done it through the death, through the life, the death, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Right back at the start of the letter again, in chapter 1, verse 6, Paul wrote to the Romans that they had been called to belong to Jesus Christ. He said, you know, you've been called to belong to Jesus Christ. And through the gospel, we too can be the people who belong to Jesus Christ. You know, we're his possessions. We belong to him. Both individuals and churches are described in the list at the start of this chapter, in chapter 16, as belonging to Christ. They're described as being in Christ or of Christ. Now, maybe this whole idea is new to you. Maybe the Christian faith is something you're not sure about. Well, then it does make sense to look into it more. Uh, and I'd encourage you to use opportunities to find out more about it. Many of us will be able to say, yes, I belong to Jesus Christ. I owe my allegiance to him. And verse 25 reminds us that if that's true for us, then we also need to be established or strengthened. We need, to be able, we need help to keep going. And again, that verse tells us that we're strengthened and we're established as, well, the whole chapter tells us that, as we serve as fellow gospel workers in the fellowship of the gospel and always remembering and being ever thankful for the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus. Because, of course, it's when we stop to think about that, when we think about all that God has done, even though, as we've been learned many times in this letter, we're completely undeserving, then the right response is to say to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, we can know you and that we can even describe ourselves when we come to you as belonging to the Lord Jesus. Thank you that as a church family we can be gospel workers together just as these people that Paul was writing to in Rome were. We thank you for all those who in our church family work so hard in all sorts of different ways uh, to let the gospel of the Lord Jesus be better known in our town and in our church family. And thank you, Lord, for the uh, unity that we can have, even though we come from very different backgrounds. And we pray that we may um, increasingly be welcoming to all sorts of people. And Lord, we pray too that you'd help us to remain faithful, help us to remember these three simple questions. Does it agree with Scripture? 
Does it glorify the Lord Jesus and does it promote goodness? Lord, help us to assess things in those ways and so to remain faithful to you. And so again, we join uh, with uh, the apostle in saying to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. I can see we've got 13 parties, 14 participants and 43 votes. And uh, Philip will answer today's and Rob will answer the ones from the last five years that people have sent in. <laughs> we'll try. Um, good. So, uh, how can we best... Ah, these are kind of practical ones. Good. How can we best serve our church family here? If there is a need in a certain area of church life, should we offer ourselves, even if we know we won't enjoy doing so? They're, they're quite... They're, let me tell you all, I was told as, as a young Christian, we all have the gift of chair stacking. Um, so they're, they're slightly subjective questions, aren't they? Because I think it, they sort of lend themselves to different temperaments yeah. as well, and those kind of things. So it's a certain sense of wisdom. But can we have a general... It's not... A, Yes or no answer, is it? Um, and I think you could probably both have a stab at this. Um. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's, it's nicer to do stuff that you enjoy doing and that you're good at doing, um, but sometimes we have to do stuff that we don't like doing. Yeah. Um. I think, yeah, good. And I suppose we could pray about, about that too, and the Absolutely. Lord changes our hearts, doesn't he? Or he puts us somewhere else, whichever it be. Um, Rob? Yeah, just to chip in, I think I uh, completely agree with Phil. Um, the, other, the other thing to say is, um, in chapter 12, you may remember, this was right at the beginning of this lazy series, we saw that actually, even though uh, we're one body, we're different and we have different gifts, and Paul encourages us to use those gifts uh, to their full extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and the exciting thing about that gift list, if you like, is that actually it's not just um, teaching or leading, but actually um, even acts of mercy, of, of, uh, of having zeal. So um, I do think Philip's absolutely right. We do have to chair stack, although some people enjoy that. Uh, but, um, yeah. but also, actually, we might find we just have got a particular gift or particular grain. that, uh, And often I find in church life it's not that... I don't want to do things, it's just I can't almost bring myself to do the things that I'm gifted at as well, so if that makes sense. Hmm. So we all have a sense of not wanting to at times. Yes, yeah. exactly, yeah. Yeah, okay. But a great um, question. Okay. Yeah, very helpful, very practical. Um, another one, I'm going to bounce this to you, Rob. Paul prophesies in chapter 11 that one day all Israel will be saved. Does that mean that one day the nation of Israel will be majority Christian? Or is that too uh, simple? Is that too simplistic an interpretation? Two minutes. When you said um, we can ask anything from Romans, I thought we were going back up to chapter 12. But we'll let that one. (laughs) Thank you for your question. Uh, I can't get out of it that easy. Um, Thank you. Yes, uh, this is uh, chapters 9 to 11. And I would encourage you to go back and listen to the series on that because it's important not to take um, little phrases out of the whole context of those chapters. They all work together very well. So 
Yes, um, when you read at the end of chapter 11, all Israel will be saved, uh, Paul has spent two and a half chapters there defining what he means by Israel, and uh, the whole of these chapters are about his anguish uh, that uh, Israel, his fellow Jewish believers, uh, fellow Jewish uh, kinsmen, as he puts them, have not actually believed in Jesus Christ, even though that's what the whole nation was for. So I don't think that means um, we should... Uh, necessarily expect things to happen with Israel in this day. But having said that, uh, chapter 11 is so encouraging because Paul there is encouraging the church not to despair at the fact that lots of people have turned away. So um, even though I don't think it's making specific promises, it is encouraging us to think that actually even the even uh, Jewish believers, or uh, sorry, even Jewish people, or uh, Muslim people, or hardened people, or nominal Christians, anyone Uh, the Lord will be working his purposes to bring back. Uh, And that's just absolutely wonderful uh, when we get to the end of chapter 11. But um, short answer is go and listen to the sermons uh, because I can't quite remember what I said, (laughs) but also read those chapters as one unit. Very good. Um, Philip, in verse 17, referring to believers... No, Matthew, is, is, verse 17, referring to believers or non-believers causing division... And what does it mean, keep away from them? Is this a first reference to social distancing? (laughs) Very good, yes. Yeah, no, but I mean, as I I said, it it seems to be different to the divisions in 14 and 15. Mm -hmm. You know, there Paul was very definitely saying, well, you've got to work together. But this seems very strong, doesn't it? Keep away. So this is something much more, much more serious not get involved and you know that bit in in nine in chapter in verse 19 about um you know being completely innocent about what's evil uh, being beginners you know not even beginners in evil that's what what he's saying saying don't go there just don't go there good um now the the we've sort of got three left and they all seem to be thinking of us here. So taking what we've heard from Romans and applying it to us um, here. So Paul encourages uh, churches to work together in relation to local slash other churches. It says here, should we join with them in gospel activities, even if we have disagreements about some of what they believe? Do you want me to target either of you? <laughs> Are you both looking at the carpet? No. That's <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> um, Happy either way, you're the chair. Well, so Philip could speak from a historical point of view from the previous years if he's been at St. Mary's and seen how we interact and do things. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we we need to be gracious and kind and we need to to work together as much as we can. Obviously, there are are some issues that are very significant and and sometimes, you know, if, if people are preaching a gospel that was contrary... You know, that doesn't, for example, so, you know, again, one of those tests is, does it glorify the Lord Jesus? Mm. Some stuff, some stuff, when you think about it, people, it's all about me or about other things. If it doesn't, <clears throat> if it isn't pointing people ultimately to the Lord Jesus, then, then that's not good. Mm. But if it does, and there are some differences, if, if still they point to the Lord Jesus, then where we can, we should work together. Mm. Very good. Yeah, I think uh, I haven't got much to add to that. Then don't. That's fine. Just because time... Unless you're desperate. No. Good. No, that's great. Thank you. (laughs) Um, 
What one thing would you both like St. Mary's to take away from Romans as we enter a new season under our new rector? Don't answer that yet. I want you to start thinking in the background. This is actually a question for now. What are the current or potential needs of St. Mary's? Very easy. And then you can come to the other one. <laughs> so I think the reflecting on Romans, I'll let, you let that chew through in the background. But are there any particular needs at the moment uh, that you want to flag up from the opposition at the front? Yeah, I think I might. I think it's a great question and it's a really helpful one to ask, but I may quibble with it slightly because it can give the impression that um, St. Mary's is kind of over here and we're kind of prop, you know, we're serving to keep it going. But we are all St. Mary's. Um, and I know we know that, but just worth emphasizing that. And our primary job isn't just to keep the, the thing going, although <laughs> that could often, that, that could feel, um, that could kind of be my priority sometimes but actually it's for all of us to uh, live out our God commissioned mission um, and so I think yeah going back to Matthew 28 and seeing that actually we're to make disciples of all nations teaching them uh, and baptizing them uh, in the name of the Lord Jesus would be our primary mission now obviously how we do that's more complicated we do need people to uh, to uh, serve the coffee we do need people to welcome people um, and we do need people to go out and speak to their friends and neighbours. But there's a lot to do. It's all about job. And I would just encourage you to go back to those chapters, chapter 12, and just think, how's the Lord put me together? What can I best do to serve him? And um, how might I fit in uh, with St. Mary's to, in, in doing so? But do come and chat to me. Do chat to Janet uh, practically as well. And do chat to people who know you well and just say, you know, what do you think I'm good at? How could I get involved? I suppose I would just <clears throat> say as well, we just need to be really careful that we don't separate our church, our spiritual, and our secular life, because it's, we're, 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 you know, work and church goes together, so we mustn't think we've got a church life and we've got a separate, or my separate work life. Mm. Our Christian faith has to impact a whole of our lives, so it has to, so, you know, we mustn't separate what we do in church and what we do in work, so, mm. you know, maybe we should be thinking more about how how we can equip each other, you know, all those of us who are not retired yet, you know, equip each other in whatever our roles are to go out and be ambassadors for the Lord Jesus, wherever that is. And, you know, it isn't just about serving coffee and doing stuff in church. It's also about what we do Monday to Friday as well. Really helpful. Thank you. Very good. Yeah. Thank you. Um, final question that you've had some background thinking time on. Uh, what one... <laughs> What one thing would you both like St. Mary's to take away from Romans as we enter a new season? I suppose if we were to write out one verse on a header card that holds it all together or interpret as you wish. I, yeah, I mean, I started a hint about it, but in preparing, I was really struck by this whole phrase of belonging to Jesus Christ. Um, and, yeah, I want us to think a lot more about what that practically actually means. Yeah, not much different. Um, I think Paul's main verse of this whole book uh, is probably chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek, by which he means non-Jewish person. Uh, so it really is, I guess that as we understand what it means to belong to Christ, 
that you and me won't be ashamed of the gospel. And there's a lot of reasons we might be ashamed. Uh, we realize that uh, we're in a secular culture where people don't tend to think this is true anymore. Uh, we might be ashamed in terms of what it teaches. We might be ashamed uh, in our own selves. But actually, once we understand the gospel really deeply, Paul says we will find that there's nothing to be ashamed about. And yes, um, my prayer is that as we understand what it belongs to, means to belong to Christ, that you and me would just be um, unashamed uh, of what Christ has done. Mm. Very good. Thank you both. I'm just going to pray at that point as we finish Romans. Great. Um, and then we'll have some bands of marriage. Heavenly Father, we do thank and praise you for the way that you have used the book of Romans uh, by your spirit through thousands of years to teach and explain your gospel and that many have then gone on to not be ashamed of the gospel and that the deep truths that there are uh, ring out in our souls all the more clearly. Um, we thank you, as Philip's pointed us there, to belong to Christ. And because we belong to him, how could we be ashamed? Um, and so we do ask, please, Heavenly Father, that you would help this book, uh, these words of yours, sit deep within us, and that we would reflect on them and remember them, and that they would shape our every minute of every day. Amen.